my arms wouldn't work, my neck was hard to pull up, and that sort of stuff. Just, I sort of panicked. You're listening to Small Minded, the podcast that believes being small is a good thing because small steps lead to big impact, small towns have a big heart, and small businesses play a big role in our modern way of life. I'm your host, Molly Knuth, and here at Small Minded, we share stories and strategies to help small towns and small businesses flourish. Here's to a life well-lived, being small-minded. Hi, listener. So today's episode title probably revealed that there's someone pretty personal as a guest on the podcast this week, and it's my daughter, Charlotte. And I decided to bring Charlotte in because so much of her story has impacted me, obviously, as her mom, but also because in the midst of growing my business in the early years, Charlotte had a really severe health emergency emerge. And I think that looking back on it now with some distance, we're almost four years out from that, um, it shows me a little bit and reminds me a lot of slowing down and the importance of not placing all of my worth and all of my effort and energy into growing a business. And it also teaches me a lot about support and how awesome clients are in a small town when they know you personally and how much being in a small town community is so important. And you will get into Charlotte's story from her perspective in a little bit, but I do want to walk you through a little bit of what the background information is. So I'm going to kind of bounce back and forth. I have a couple of documents in front of me here. One was written one year out from when Charlotte had her health emergency um, with AFM, which is acute flaccid myelitis. And as I'll explain, it's essentially an overreaction of her immune system as a reaction to a common cold virus back in 2018. And her immune system went on a rampage and attacked her spinal cord and started eating away the myelin sheath that surrounded and protected it, rendering her from a healthy kid into um, being ventilated and immobilized in a hospital bed for over two weeks. And I'll tell a little bit more about this, but again, I have two documents in front of me. One was written like shortly before the one year anniversary, and I wrote this um, after a lot of therapy sessions. And like when I think back to that time one year out, like I just was in a gray and black space. Like that's all, I just need to explain it in terms of color. And I just felt like a tightly wound spring ready to like let loose. And it really did manifest in different ways. And my emotions were on the surface. And one of the things my therapist recommended was just writing and writing it all down. And so the result of that writing was this first document that I'm going to read with you. And then 
in the time after that, we were invited to be part of a couple fundraising efforts for the Children's Hospital and for the therapy uh, facility that Charlotte received care at. And so there was a little bit more distance and I was able to write from a more, um, like a better perspective, I should say, than just being the immediate one year anniversary and processing through the trauma. So I'll read a little bit of both and then we will get into Charlotte's portion of the interview, which will be the fun part. Okay, so now I'm just going to like read directly from it because otherwise I'll lose my spot. As a small town business owner, the balance between business and family is a constant struggle. And at times we need to dedicate extra hours to growing our companies. But there are also times where business needs to take a backseat or even a break in order for us to attend to our family. At MKM, I want everyone to see that my small business operates in large part alongside my family, my husband and my four kids. So throughout the next few weeks, and this is me writing one year after, I was like, this is going to be the beginning of a series of blog entries. It wasn't. This was the only one. (laughs) I'll share with you the story of the fall of 2018 when MKM came to a halt for over eight weeks. Limited work time, limited income, but through it all, I gained a new appreciation for my clients, my children, my family, and my life beyond the world of digital marketing and work. In my rural small town, I'm sure everyone has heard this story and knows what happened to my daughter, Charlotte, in the fall of 2018. Still, Charlotte's story and the story of parents who deal with trauma in their children's illnesses has been on my heart to write and share for a while now. This series of posts, again, it was intended to be a series and it was just one, (laughs) is partly for myself to process and heal in the aftermath of the events of 2018, but largely I write this and focus on Charlotte's battle with acute flaccid myelitis because so much is still unknown about this syndrome our daughter contracted last fall, and I and my family are committed to spreading awareness and helping others who may encounter AFN in the future. So here we go. August of 2018 started like any other month. The kids and I were anxiously preparing for a new season of soccer games and excitement of going back to school. We went together to shop for new crayons markers, and Charlotte's specially selected unicorn folders for kindergarten. Charlotte loves school. As a toddler, she was recognizing letters at 16 months and reading Llama Llama by age four. She couldn't wait to get back to school with her classmates and be a big kid. We were going to plan a party for her sister Corinne, and then we had a weekend away for mom and dad, and then shortly after that was the wedding of her aunt and her new uncle, and Charlotte was going to be the flower girl. It was a month full of joyful firsts at our house. What we couldn't have known at the beginning of August was that the month would also be an array of firsts that we didn't want to experience. Our first MRI, our first ambulance ride, our first breathing tube, and actually missing all of those firsts that we had planned. On the morning of Saturday, August 11th, Charlotte woke up at 6 a.m. complaining of a neck and head ache. As a tired mom who had just hosted a birthday party for our new four-year-old, I told Charlotte it was probably because she insisted she sleep on the floor in our room next to my bed. Of course she'd be stiff and sore. I rolled over and closed my eyes, but Charlotte was persistent. Mom, it hurts and I can't move my arm. My husband and I sat up straight in bed. True to her word, she was having a hard time lifting and moving her right arm. Maybe she just slept on it wrong, I wondered out loud. I am notoriously the person who's like, you just didn't get enough sleep or you're not drinking enough water. (laughs) 
So that was always my go-to. But deep inside, call it parents' intuition, Ryan and I knew something was not right with our five-and-a-half-year-old. Even though it was early in the morning, I picked up my phone and texted our family's nurse practitioner. We had been seeing Sherry Kelchin, ARNP, frequently that week because Charlotte was exhibiting some strange symptoms that we thought were associated with a lung infection. Without warning that Tuesday, her voice had changed. Rather than her regular pitch, she now had a nasal tone that was something we hadn't encountered before. Sherry took a listen and heard diminished lung sounds, so we chalked it up to some symptoms of bronchitis, and we started a steroid regimen for treatment with directions to follow up with Sherry if systems persisted. Symptoms persisted. That's a lot of words. (laughs) By Friday, August 10th, she showed no improvement. And actually, like, after getting those steroids, she, like, needed to take a nap, which is the opposite of what steroids should do for kids. Um, So by Friday, she had that nasally voice still. She was not eating. Um, She was increasingly tired. And we returned to Sherry, who then administered a shot of steroids to Charlotte's thigh. Um, And then in hindsight, that proved to be very critical in her care regimen. Um, Sherry told us that this would make her very hyper, and she would probably be up most of the day. But on the contrary, the rest of the day and through the night's birthday party, Charlotte napped and could barely get herself off the couch. In my memory, I only saw her upright twice, once for a picture with her sister and once for a hug with her soon-to-be uncle. So on Saturday morning, when I texted our NP that Charlotte was continuing to deteriorate, um, Sherry advised that we go to our nearest ER, which was about 30 minutes away. By 7 a.m., Charlotte and I were leaving the house with a backpack full of coloring books, art supplies, and toys because I thought it's probably going to be a wait at the ER on Saturday. And then I took my tote bag full of client work. We kissed Dad goodbye, assured him that we would be okay, and that he could meet us at the hospital as soon as Dad got the other three kiddos awake and taken to Grandma's house. So Charlotte and I loaded up in the van and headed for Dubuque. What we couldn't have known was that that morning was our family of sixes last sleep under the same roof together for two months. Now we're at the ER. So the 30-minute drive went pretty quickly. I was concerned for what was going on, but I don't think the severity of the situation really hit me until we were exiting the van to walk into the ER. When I asked Charlotte to unbuckle her seatbelt, she couldn't get her hands to cooperate. And as she tried getting out of the car, her neck gave out. So like she was going to jump down out of the van, like from the door to the pavement, but her head tipped backwards, like her face went up to the sky and she lost control of her neck. And she begged me to carry her the short walk to the admission doors. The next few hours as we were admitted and assessed, we had tons of paperwork. I was recounting Charlotte's strange symptoms. We saw an array of ER staffers who were like perplexed and at a loss to explain what could be happening. The doctors kept coming in and doing different assessments, like, squeeze my hand as tight as you can, okay? So then one doctor, he kind of looked at her a little more closely. He said, do you see that drooping in the right corner of her mouth? And another doctor asked a specialist to be called in while I stood nearby. Um, Though she seemed very tired and not herself, Charlotte was satisfied to sip on her blue Gatorade through a bendy straw, and she watched some movies on my computer to pass the time. She entertained the doctor's requests through each series of assessments as each person knew came into the room. Can you bend your right arm and touch your finger to your shoulder? Okay, said the pediatric specialist as she was unable to do this simple task. Squeeze your eyelids shut and don't let me pull them open. The doctor placed his index finger on her right eyebrow and his thumb below her eye, and he pulled her eyelids apart effortlessly. Her muscles seemed not able to follow the directions her brain was giving her. 
As that doctor conferred with another specialist, I turned to Charlotte, who was in a state of dismay. Mom, the straw quit working. I can't drink my Gatorade. I must have gotten a hole in it, I said. (laughs) Again, I am always like going for like literal short-term answers. Um, So I took a sip from the straw to kind of confirm that the straw must have had a hole. But immediately, I got blue Gatorade in my mouth, meaning that there was no hole. I said, why don't you try again? So I placed the straw back to her lip, and my concern rose as I could see that she could no longer close her mouth around her straw. In a matter of minutes, this crazy whatever it was, was making our daughter sick, had made progress. She can't swallow anymore, I said aloud to Ryan, who had joined us at that point. Just then, the pediatric doctor entered the room and pulled Ryan and I aside. She's going to need an MRI of her brain. I want you to be completely aware of what we're thinking so there aren't any surprises. It's quite possible that Charlotte has suffered a stroke, or it could be a brain tumor. And at that point, I was like, what in the fuck? (laughs) I couldn't believe what I was hearing. Hot tears rolled down my face. I know we exchanged questions. Um, as the doctor prepared us for what the next two hours would entail, but I can't tell you what we discussed. All I could think of was that Charlotte was really, really sick and, um, we had to decide which parent got to go with her into the scan room because only one was allowed to accompany her. While I was able to sit with her, she kept herself immobile on that MRI bed for two hours. She only had two potty breaks. Like she had to sit so still and the nurse and the, um, I don't even know what you call them, but they were just like, you can't move. You can't move. And so she didn't, she didn't move at all so that they could get a good picture. Um, But the real hard part was that like I could be with her and see all that. And Ryan had to sit in that room in the ER by himself the whole time. That had to have just been so hard. Um, It was terrible. So, but the the MRI was a good thing. And what it revealed was that for the past couple of weeks, like I had alluded to in the beginning, Charlotte's immune system had gone on a rampage and attacked her spinal cord, eating away that myelin coating that protected her body's nerves. It left lesions on her spinal cord and her brain, and the most critically affected areas were in her C5 through C7 vertebrae. And in this area of the spinal cord, that controlled her head, her neck, and therefore like why she couldn't like control her neck as she was jumping down out of the van or her swallowing. Um, It controlled her upper extremities, and that's why she was having uh, right arm weakness, and then her diaphragm, which in the hours to come would reveal itself. So Charlotte's case was beyond the ability of care at the local hospital that we were at. So the pediatrician was super calm and collected as he told us that she would get transferred to our regional care center at the University of Iowa Stead Family Children's Hospital, and he said she needed to get there quickly. So He advised us that this stay would probably last a couple of weeks, which I was like, again, really downplaying. I was like, no, 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 no. She starts kindergarten next week. She's going to be a flower girl in her aunt's wedding next weekend. We will be out by then. Famous last words. But the pediatrician looked at us sternly, advising that we prepare ourselves for what would be a long journey ahead. And then he asked if he could pray over our daughter. I kind of forgot about this part. (laughs) He prayed for strength for her and for us, and he prayed that we had success on the journey. It was super, super emotional. And we came to find out afterwards that he and our um, nurse practitioner like kept each other in touch throughout Charlotte's stay. And our nurse practitioner, who was like friends of the family, would frequently call this pediatrician who was our ER doctor and just alert him to like what was going on and updates in her care and stuff. It was really 
um, special. And then there was one time last year where I swear I saw him in Dubuque, but it was one of those things where I'm like, I don't know if that's him. Maybe it's him. I don't know. I was getting coffee at Bob and Lou's and I was like, that might be Dr. Mullen, but I didn't know for sure. And I, so I didn't say anything and I kicked myself ever since then because I really want to thank him. So if anybody has connections to the pediatrician, Dr. Mullen in Dubuque, Iowa, let me know. Um, so anyway, back to the story. We were quickly prepped for transfer. I had time to call my mom and our nurse practitioner who had been checking in with us. And then we went to Iowa City. Charlotte was pretty excited because it was her first trip in an ambulance. And I was not as excited as she was. <laughs> so to pass the time in the ambulance, Charlotte and I read stories and made small talk with the EMTs in the transport unit. Um, by this time, it was only 3 p.m., but it had been hours since she'd last had anything to drink. And she was so thirsty. And she um, is a stubborn little girl. She's very independent, which served her well, but she did not let us forget that she was thirsty and we wouldn't let her drink anything. Um, but we couldn't give her anything to drink because her condition was deteriorating so quickly that anything she consumed orally, whether it was food or liquids, like that had a real chance of being aspirated and it could have made things so much worse. So um, typically the travel from Dubuque, Iowa to Iowa City, Iowa it's about 90 minutes. So it's about like 30 minutes from Dubuque to our hometown of Cascade and then another 60 minutes on to Iowa City. Um, but like about shortly after we got past Cascade, um, she was starting to get sleepy. So she was like, she decided to take a nap and then alarms began to go off on her monitors because she was spiked to fever above 103 degrees. And the EMTs assured me that this was okay. They would keep her comfortable. They gave her cold packs. Um, and they kind of talked me through it, but Charlotte just kind of napped the whole rest of the way. And what's usually a 90 minute trip was about, God, I don't even know. We were flying. As we got to the University of Iowa hospitals and clinics, Charlotte woke up and we were led through a maze of hallways and elevators to get to our room in the pediatric intensive care unit. As we walked, Charlotte made sure to vocally remind us how thirsty she was every time we passed a water fountain which she told us once we got to her room that she had seen three water fountains and we didn't even let her stop to get a drink. So that was like a little bit of humor in this otherwise very serious situation. Finally, at about 4.30 p.m., we made it to the PICU room 322, which we did not know was about to be our home for the next four weeks. The first day of school that we thought she'd attend with her siblings, she was actually on a ventilator. At the wedding, she was supposed to be a flower girl in. Her therapist had her sitting upright in her flower girl dress so we could FaceTime her in. Um, we watched the wave, that like signature University of Iowa Hawkeyes wave. Um, we saw three of them from the hospital. And it was really just as incredible as it looks on TV. Thankfully, in the moment, I was like, you know... I'm going to take pictures. I'm going to write in a little journal and like keep notes. And I knew in the moment like that this seemed silly, like to take pictures of her. But looking back, I'm like so glad that we have these memories because otherwise it would seem like, did this even really happen? Is this even real? Because just as quickly as she got sick, almost it seemed like she would get some of her functions back. So that's a really long, drawn-out beginning to the story um, of just the first, like, 12 hours, seriously. But the next eight weeks and beyond were stories of therapists who really care, 
stories of our family and our community like rallying around us and praying, meeting people in the PICU whose situations were much more dire than ours. Stories of just like these weird encounters that like, I don't know why we experienced some of these things, but it all came together that like certain things wouldn't work out so that other things could fall into place. And it's also stories of Charlotte, which is why we're here for this episode anyway, and how just like her spirit and her bravery and her courage just kept her going, kept us going and really route. I don't know. It just taught me so much. But before we go into Charlotte's um, interview, I do want to read just a part of it about like uh, a part of what I wrote down in our journal. Um, and this is from the day that she like kind of went downhill. Okay. So we went into the hospital on a Saturday. On Sunday, we were just trying to keep her comfortable. And we knew that there were like her case could either improve or it could deteriorate. Nobody knew what was happening, really. They thought it was maybe transverse myelitis. But this AFM that we were or eventually found out it was, like we found out that because we saw a news spot on Good Morning America. And it was this random new disease that spiked every two years in kids around the age of five. And someone back home spotted that. And then we lined up all the symptoms and we were like, yep, that's got to be what she had. But anyway. For the first like 48 hours at the hospital, we were just trying to keep her comfortable, but her condition was continuing to deteriorate. So then on Monday, the 13th of August, um, it's here's my entry. You had a really rough night. Your coughs increased in frequency, but you were too weak to get the phlegm up and started having a hard time maintaining oxygen levels. So respiratory therapy was called in to assist. Meanwhile... The doctors were just outside your room doing rounds and updating us with your care plan for the day. They did this every morning and night. Uh, There was a man from our hometown uh, who was an RT at the hospital, and he just happened to be stopping by to check on us. This is the first of those just like random things that happened. Um, So he just happened to be in the room checking on us at that time. Suddenly, your alarm started ringing. Meanwhile, me and Ryan were in the hallway with the care team who just... Oh, God, yeah. And then they were just outside the room. So crazy. Um, suddenly your alarm started ringing and everyone rushed in to help you. You had reached your limit and your body was had done as much as it could. So the care team gave you some sedatives to make you sleepy and inserted a tube to help you breathe. In this process, some mucus got lodged in your lungs and your right lung collapsed, making it even harder for you to breathe. Mom and dad cried a lot. We were so scared for you. A priest just happened, you guys, I can't make this up. A priest happened to walk by and came in to give you a blessing for strength and healing. It was a rough, rough morning. And like one of the things that really sticks out in my head from that time was like the priest asked if I wanted to give her the anointing of the sick. And I was like, oh my God, literally. I'm like, I don't know. Isn't that just like, oh, that that was scary. The rest of the day was spent getting you to a comfortable level with your ventilator and medicine. We were so happy to see you finally get some rest. You continued some steroid treatments in IVIG to help treat what we thought was ADEM, or transverse myelitis. You also went in for another MRI to determine now how far the ADEM had advanced down your spinal cord. 
You took it all very well and showed your strong, spunky side by resisting the sedatives. One care team staff commented that you were on enough tranquilizers to knock out a cow. But we know you're just a little fighter. <laughs> so um, then I go on to kind of document it for the next couple of weeks, like all the different things that she experienced, the things that she overcame, talk about who her nurses was, all of the gifts, all the visitors. Um, and that was just in our hospital stay. So we were ended up being in the hospital for five weeks. Um, through which Charlotte was sedated for 17 days. Um, We'd had a lot of therapies to kind of get her back to function. And then we had to go to inpatient rehab for an additional three weeks. And then Charlotte could finally come home and we could all be in the same house together in early October. So that was eight weeks. And then since then, since we came home in October of 2018, it's been a series of therapies and surgery and just trying to figure out like all of a sudden her body will go through these changes and she'll be able to like move or do something she hasn't been able to do in years. And it's just the nature of AFM, which is so frustrating, but so beautiful at the same time. So anyway, for all of these reasons, Charlotte is someone I really wanted to interview because her short life has been stunted by this AFM diagnosis, but she has found ways to persevere and continue doing the things that she's good at, like drawing. She's loved to draw and do art forever, and it was her right arm that was damaged the most, and so what did she do? She taught herself how to do all this stuff with her left hand, and it's just stories and things like that that Charlotte's been able to do throughout her life that just show how brave and courageous and strong and inspiring of a little girl that she is. And she is somebody who is very independent and spunky. And we've been told numerous times that she is just like her mother. And all of that has served her really well, even though sometimes it can be frustrating. And I know parents out there with kids who are just like them can relate. But I really just wanted to bring Charlotte on here and tell her story because she's awesome. and. She shows our family and our community, like, just, just, I don't know, just how blessed we are. So I'm going to stop there, and then we'll pick up with Charlotte's interview. Hey there, listener. In today's episode and in recent episodes of Small Minded, you've been hearing about the importance of surrounding yourself with support if you are a female entrepreneur or small business owner. Now, at MKM, we are really going to hit the ground running with this concept. And in the spring, we are going to have two opportunities for female business owners to grow their businesses in new ways. Our first opportunity is one that you've heard of. It's our signature MKM Social School. Our next round of Social School opens in early April, and we are going to really double down on sticking to the social media foundations you need to advertise and grow your business online. You'll still get monthly topics of focus, trainings, content calendars, templates, Q&A sessions, all the goods to help you market your business better online using social media. Then, also launching in April, is our new MKM Business School Mastermind. This is for the business owner who is in years two through seven, who is looking for that something, that intangible next step, 
where we know we have growth, we know we have opportunity, but we're just not sure how to get there. So with this business school mastermind, we are going to have a circle of support for your female-owned business. We're going to bring in monthly experts in various areas. So we might talk about social media, we might talk about marketing, but we also might talk about productivity. We might talk about systems and organization. We might talk about hiring. We might bring in tax experts or insurance experts or any host of experts that aren't me. (laughs) Because the goal of this mastermind is to help those business owners that are in the second phase of business growth and give them an opportunity and a place to find inspiration, answers, and community as they grow their small business in a host of ways in 2022. Now, if either of these sounds like what you've been looking for, head to bit.ly slash mkmspring. Again, that's bit.ly slash mkmspring. And you can drop your email address as well as indicate if you are more interested in hearing about social school or business school. And we will make sure to get you all the goods as they are released throughout the next few weeks. Again, that's bit.ly slash mkmspring for our upcoming MKM Spring Business Growth Programs. Hi, Charlotte. Hello. I'm so glad that you can join me on the podcast today. Are you excited or nervous? A little both. (laughs) (laughs) What are you nervous about? I don't know. It's just mom. I know. Um, Okay, so let's start. The people who are listening, they're not listening right now. This isn't live. But the people who are going to listen to the podcast, they don't know you. So why don't you tell them your name and how old you are and two cool things about you. Um, my name is Charlotte Knuth. I am almost nine years old. And I like art. And I'm really good at drawing. Yeah. You're working on side smiles, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so Charlotte, in today's episode of the podcast, we're talking about what happened to Righty all those years ago. Hmm. So can you tell us a little bit about what you remember, like when you first got sick? Do you remember any of that? I remember not being able to move in bed. Mm, Tell me a little bit more about that. Like, I couldn't control my body very well. My legs were fine, but I, like, sort of, I couldn't really walk. But my, um, my arms wouldn't work, my neck was hard to pull up, and that sort of stuff. Mm. It just, I sort of panicked and called for you. Yeah, and then we went to the hospital, right? Yeah. Do you remember anything about when we were at, like, Not when we went to Iowa City Hospital, but do you remember? That was a long time ago. How old were you? I was five. Yeah, so that was over three years ago. Gosh, you got old. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Do you remember anything about the first hospital that we were at when we had to go to Dubuque? I think the gala was there, wasn't it? Oh, that was later on. Oh. Well, there was a gala later on, and... I remember, I remember some of the people that came in. We can talk about the gala in a little bit, okay? Okay. Because that's a really fun story to tell, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. So let's, so I told a little bit of the story about when you got sick and being in the hospital. So what are some of the things that you remember from being in the Iowa City Hospital? 
I remember my, um, I remember those ball games they had, and they, whenever they were at, um, football games, they always took the time to wave to the kids at the hospital. I remember that time I made that sign for the, like, the Hawkeyes. Mm-hmm. So one of the really cool things about the Iowa City Hospital, for people who might be listening from far away and don't know, um, the cool thing about the Iowa City Hospital is that it's right over top of the University of Iowa Hawkeye football field, so Kinnick Stadium. And so one thing they started doing after the hospital was built um, in 2017 was at the end of the first quarter, in between the quarters, they take time to do a wave and everybody in the stadium turns and they face the children's hospital and they do a big wave. And when they, when Charlotte was in the hospital, when we were first in the hospital, we were in the pediatric intensive care unit, which is on the third floor. So we weren't, um, we couldn't really see very good, but then when you got out of the intensive care unit, then we got to go up to the 10th floor and you, what did they give you? The best, what? The best. Room. The best room. Yeah. They gave her the best room in the whole hospital so that we could see really good. Because by then you were kind of famous. Everybody loved you. <laughs> and so then we got to watch the wave and you got to make a big sign. And what did you want to put on the sign? We love Hawkeyes. And a rainbow, right? <laughs> yeah. And who, I think, did I help you with that or did Grandma help you with that? I think you both did. Okay. And we have a picture of that. Um, okay. So when you were in the intensive care, when you were really, really, really sick, there was parts of it where you were like kind of sleepy, right? <coughs> Bless you. Um, so there are parts of it that you were really sleepy. So you probably don't remember much of that, but do you remember any of the people who were your helpers during that time? I remember Miss Kayla. And she was she your- She was a therapist. Yeah. Wasn't she the one who always let me play on that iPad? Or was that a different therapist? That was Sarah. She was your yeah. occupational therapist, yep. And those therapists were really important. They started doing therapy within like three days of you being there, which me and dad thought was crazy. But it was really good for you to get your body moving. Who else do you remember? I remember one of my doctors. I sort of forget his name, but I know he helped me out a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you said, you gave me some news about him not too long ago. Oh, Mr. Howard. Yeah. Mr. Howard was a respiratory therapist, so he helped Charlotte with her breathing treatments. And I guess Mr. Howard kind of like, he was kind of stoic, like he didn't show a lot of emotion, but somehow you got a sweet spot in his heart. And when we moved up to the 10th floor, he gave you a little prize or a little present, didn't he? Mm -hmm. He gave you, um, at this time when you were five years old, what did you love more than anything? What was your favorite animal? Uni. Unicorns. Yep. (laughs) And so we had a room covered in unicorn stuffed animals. You got like three pairs of unicorn slippers from people. (laughs) Everybody sent unicorn cards. And anytime somebody saw anything unicorn, they would send it, I swear. But then Mr. Howard Uh, He went down to the gift shop on your last day in the pediatric intensive care unit, and he bought you a unicorn headband. Do you remember that? And a notebook. Yeah. That was really, really nice. I really liked it. Mm -hmm. You wrote in it. 
I did. I wrote in it some of our memories of when you were there. Yeah. Um. Okay, so. I remember something else, too. Oh, okay. What else do you remember? I remember that time when I first started walking that, that I was like, I had a little animal and it was a duck. I got a hold on to a duck while I was walking. And yeah, it was really fun. So mm-hmm. that was I actually, that. yeah, that was really cool. You first, so for like, we were in the hospital for five weeks and for the first four weeks, you couldn't walk. Good job. So we had to like teach you how to walk again. And I remember the first, first time they had you walk, me and dad were like on both sides of you, making sure that you were like not going to fall and your therapists were there too. And you just took small, small steps. And then all of a sudden you decided to run. And we, I have a video of that. But then when we went to your rehabilitation center at ChildServe, that's where you got to walk the duck. And that was a pretty cool thing, wasn't it? So, Charlotte, what was something that was hard about being in the hospital? Do you remember anything that was hard or sad? That I couldn't go see my family. They had to come see me. Mm-hmm. I really want to visit them and see their houses again. Yeah. So I like to see everything because I sort of forgot while I was in the hospital. I even forgot what our own house looked like. So I was really excited to be home when I did get home. Mm-hmm. And I remember another hospital I really, really liked. Where I first tried food, not tube food. Oh, yeah. Child surf. Yeah. The first food they made me try was actually ice cream. <laughs> and I just ate it. <laughs> yeah, because you couldn't, you're, the way you got sick, it hurt the way you could swallow too, right? <laughs> so you had to eat tube food through, where did, how did they get you your tube food? They um had little tubes. And connected. where did the tubes go into? Your nose, yep. And we had to feed you baby formula through a tube. And so for a lot of weeks, Charlotte had tube foods. And do you remember? I I keep saying, do you remember? Because you were so little and it was so long ago. But what did we call that tube? Your what? My, I don't know. Your noodle. (laughs) Yeah. And we always put your hair in an up bun and then we'd like, wrap your noodle around your up bun so that it'd stay out of the way when it was like giving you a shower or changing your tube or something. Okay. So when you were at the hospital and when you were at child serve, you said there were some hard things like not being able to see your family when you wanted to, not being able to go home. Was there anything that you did while you were at child serve or at the hospital that you thought you said the wave was really cool? Was there anything else that you were like, This is something happy that happened while I was there. Yes, I remember every single day I go down to like the main halls of child care. There's this big area for kids and there's this like, I don't know, sort of humongous fidget thingy. Like those things where you stick your hand in and then it appears on the other side. Those little sticks. Mm -hmm. And I went down there every single day and played with it. It was really, really fun. What else did ChildServe have that was really good for kids who are sick? They had, like, fun little games. They had their own touchscreen TV. That was at the first hospital. Yeah. 
I had to use my feet for it. That was sort of tiring. Yeah, because your arms didn't work. <laughs> so this touchscreen TV you controlled with your toes. <laughs> and all the doctors and nurses thought it was hilarious. <laughs> it was really fun. How did you feel when you finally got to come home? I felt really excited to see everybody. Like, I was really, really, really excited to see my siblings, like Kryn, Henry, and Aiden. I was really, really excited to see them. When you first had to come home, there were some special things that we had to have in the house and in the car for you so that it kept you safe. What were some of those things that you had to have? I remember that little beeper I had to put on my phone at night. Whenever my heartbeat got like too fast or too slow, you guys would hear the beep and then come in my room to check on me. Mm-hmm. And, and it uh, checked your heartbeat and your oxygen. Yeah. What were some other things that you had to have? That little belt to help me walk. Mm-hmm. You, you had to have a gate belt. Yeah. Um, I don't think I had anything else, did I? Do you remember? Well, when you first came home, we had to have, we had oh, to bring yeah, the noodle home yeah, so that you could eat. the car seat. You had to have a car seat in the car. And then my sort of tape. Oh, yeah, we had to tape your arms. Why did we have to put tapes on your shoulders? Do you remember? To keep my arms held up. Mm-hmm. Or like keeping them together so they sort of get used to it. Yeah, your muscles weren't strong enough and your shoulder was starting to separate, wasn't it? So we had to use kinesiology tape to keep that joint together. And then at nighttime, you might not remember this because it was a long time ago, but you had to wear a mask to bed to help you breathe. Do you remember that? that you had to have a BiPAP. It was annoying. Why? Because yeah. <laughs> I just had to wear it and I couldn't get in a comfortable position. And I was connected to it. So when I flipped over to my side, I, get, I got the tug. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I did not like it. <laughs> so after you got home, you had to have some of these special things. And you had to go to therapy. So tell us about therapy. Why do you go to therapy? And what are some things you have to do there? I, had, I used to do, I laid on my back. And then a therapist would throw like a beach ball at me. And then I would be ready and kick my legs at it, and then I'd hit it back to them. I remember even now I play Connect Four with Aaron. I'm on all fours, and I reach up, grab a Connect Four piece, put it the spot I want. I've beat her a ton. (laughs) (laughs) But she's beat me, too. She doesn't take it easy on you, does she? No. (laughs) Why do they have you do some of these fun things? To still keep me, like, I don't know, to keep me entertained. Well, so it's just, like, not work, 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 like a workout sort of stuff. But it's still, like, working, but sort of fun activities. Yeah. That's why I like my mouse hole. There's, like, this little cave under the slide place covered with, like, little strings. Then I rush into it and run around in circles. And then when Aaron calls my name, I just pop my head out and then come all the way out. So The place that you go to therapy now, like, it's got fun stuff like yeah. that, right? It's got slides inside. Yeah. There's swings. There's scooter boards. There's bowling. A whole bunch of fun games. Was the therapy place always cool like that? Some, most of the activities at the old therapy place were tucked against the wall. And there was, in the middle of it, there was just this big 
um, area place. Therapy, they always tried to entertain me. They were, they were always trying to keep it fun, but there wasn't fun stuff scattered all around like there is now. So they had like an old therapy, and then we had this fundraiser to raise money, and that's what the gala that you were talking mm-hmm. about a little bit ago was part of because they wanted to make a new therapy place that was updated, and there was lots of space. And so Charlotte got asked to help raise money for that. So what did you have to do to help raise money? I was going to gala, and then I met this artist, Dr. Gary, I Mr. think. Gary. Mr. Gary, yeah. And he taught – and then we made this beautiful picture of our Herefords, our cows, but they're, like, multicolored. Mm-hmm. And then – I think it sold for, like, what, $12,000? $10,000. And the people who bought it were really, really nice and gave it back to us. Mm -hmm. So we were really, really grateful. We were really grateful. That was a good way to say it. Yeah, so the therapists, they wanted to do this fundraiser. So they were having a gala that they had annually. They knew that the funds raised at the gala were going to go towards the new pediatric therapy center. So they asked Charlotte to be part of it. And they already had arranged that they were going to do some kind of art piece with Mr. Gary. And they knew how much therapy had helped you and how much you loved art. And so they asked Charlotte to do this picture. And Mr. Gary and his wife came to our house a couple times before they started the art piece. And that's when Mr. Gary got to see the cows and he walked around the farm. And then we took Mr. Gary or we took Charlotte to Mr. Gary's house. And that's where you made the painting. You remember that? Yeah. What was the fun part about, I mean, tell me about that day. Do you remember much? I remember being up in these, like, upstairs where I got to get, I see all these art supplies. I see paintbrushes, like, glitter, a ton of paint. And then this, like, paint thing that helps smooth it out or something. Mm-hmm. And that's what we used on it. We applied that on the first layer. And then we drew more and stuff. We didn't really draw. We just painted. Mm -hmm. And then it turned out really, really well, a picture of two of our cows. Yeah. And they're purple. (laughs) But it looks really (laughs) cool, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, Yeah. And then the night of the gala, we went to a fancy place. We had fancy food. And there was... And um, I was wearing a unicorn dress. No surprise. We we all got dressed up (laughs) and we got a bus. Do you remember that? And so like... We got to go, and grandmas and grandpas got to go, and aunts and uncles. And so we got to eat. And then mom and dad got to do a speech and talk about what therapy had helped Charlotte accomplish. Because by that point, this was by – you were probably in therapy for about six months at that point. And you had been – like we could get rid of your noodle because you could start eating. And so you graduated speech therapy. You had made a lot of progress in your physical therapy. And so we got to talk and share your story. And so then we came to the auction time. And Charlotte's painting was like the biggest thing at the auction. And they knew it was going to raise some money. And I think you talked to Mr. Gary beforehand and said, yes, how much money do you think that's going to bring, Charlotte? And you said, I don't know, maybe like $50. (laughs) And so then the MC. That's um, what I thought paintings at the auction actually cost. (laughs) 
I didn't know they were like in the thousands and millions. Me and dad did not know it was going to go for that much either. (laughs) That outbid, we were going to try to bid on that. And I think grandpa Cecil was too, but then (laughs) it got to be too expensive. (laughs) (laughs) So then people were bidding and it got to like $1,000 and then $2,000. And then I think at like $5,000, the MC was Gary Dolphin, who is the announcer for the Hawkeyes. And he said, whoever wins this painting, I'm going to throw in four tickets to go to a University of Iowa Hawkeye football game. And so then when the people won, like the winning bidders, they spent $10,000 on the painting. And we were very grateful that they donated the painting and the tickets back to us. So then not only do we have the painting hanging in our house, but later that year, we got to go to a football game. And so instead of being the people in the hospital looking down at that wave, what did we get to do? We were able to wave at them. Mm-hmm. I really wish we invited the people who invited, gave it to us. So we could have gone with them. So they still got what they earned or they bought. We got to talk to them that night at the gala, though. That was very nice. Okay, a couple other things. Um, so about a year after you got sick, we found a doctor down in St. Louis who could help us make your arms stronger. Do you remember her name? Oh yeah. Dr. Moore. Yeah. She was really fun. I know she always wore her hair in like a side ponytail. Yeah. I remember that. I remember being in the room where she actually like treated me, things like that. That was, she was really nice. Yeah. And she told us that she could use this new, well, it wasn't a new surgery, but it was a kind of surgery that people had been doing for years for people with nerve damage. But she had been working specifically with kids who had AFM to help them get strength back in their arms and legs. And so she said Charlotte was a good candidate for surgery. So that year we made like four trips down to St. Louis in like a couple of months time so that Charlotte could have surgery and get her arms stronger. Do you remember going into surgery? How did you feel about that? I was really, really worried. I cried. I was, I was cuddling my, my favorite unicorn stuffy Blitz. Well, she was my favorite. She was like in my top ten though, top five. And we ended up having the surgery, and everything went great. And you did get stronger. And the cool thing about this surgery is that it continues. We continue to see it like as you grow. Okay, it's almost dinner time, so we better wrap this up. Charlotte, I just have a couple more questions. So are your arms back to strength? Are they all the way better yet? No. After no? Even after three years of therapy and work, they're still not all the way recovered. Yeah. Does that make you sad sometimes, or are you okay with it? I'm usually fine with it, but sometimes it makes me sad and feel like I'm not as great as the other kids. Like, they can do, like, how they can do planks very well and, like, mountain climbers. I, like, hardly can do push-ups because one arm is, like, can't be weight, put weight on. Mm -hmm. And the other guys just, like, do them. They're, like, perfect at it. So some things are harder for you than other kids. Yeah. So. Is there, um, do like, do people ever talk to you or ask about Righty? 
No, not really. Not even everyone in my class this year know I have a weak arm. They don't notice it? No, not really. Hmm. What are some things that you are proud of yourself about? Like, some things I get to do better than kids. Like, see, like, I'm really good at gaga ball because I only need one hand. Mm. When my other hand is, like, gripping onto me. All right, so we were just talking, before Dad interrupted us, we were just talking about what you're proud of yourself for. I'm really good at gaga ball, things like that. I can play one-handed sports sort of well. Is there anything else that you're really good at, or is it just sports? I'm really good at hitting a tennis ball in tennis. Mm-hmm, you are. That's like a fun sport for me. Just get to hit the ball, no rules that I can't do. Like, I can't block myself all the way in soccer mm. if it's, like, coming from my head. Yeah. So What about writing and drawing? You've taught yourself how to use your left hand, right? Mm-hmm. Because you were right-handed, but now you're left-handed. Yeah. So I, um, I sometimes draw. I don't really draw with my right hand, but I sometimes write back at the table. My teacher lets us use expo markers on her table it's not really a staining table it's like sort of smooth and really easy to wipe off oh so we have we use expo markers and sometimes i write with righty but sometimes she can't really read it okay. but she still like assumes that i did my best with it but it's with my weekend mm-hmm. so she just moves on with the other kids yeah are you proud of yourself for learning how to eat again and learning how to walk again and all that stuff too because those are big accomplishments too Mm -hmm. and you're a great reader right yeah so far i'm like ahead of all my family members and classmates with reading like i in like kindergarten or first grade i beat everybody to Letter Z in books, but even Z's were way too easy for me to read. Mm-hmm. So when we moved to Cascade Elementary, I was really happy because we didn't have reading levels. We had whatever we wanted, and these Wings of Fire books really got me. So, you are very into the Wings of Fire book, aren't you? I'm actually finishing the last book already halfway through it. You're so crazy. And there is no pictures, like 50 words each each page. And I just read, read, read. Whenever I don't have anything to do, I just go in my room, shut off the lights, turn on a lamp, and read. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mom really likes it. I picked out two books that my class has read aloud. Well, my teacher has read aloud. They're called Fish in a Tree and Wish Tree. Something she has to do with trees. But the librarian requested it. So if you want to read them, they're at the public library. They're very good. They are. So we got it's time to wrap up. It's almost time to eat dinner. Um, what are your final thoughts? Do you want to say anything about kids that have weak arms? Do you want to say anything about your experience as somebody who was sick and now they're better? You want to tell everybody how awesome your mom is? I mean, you can say whatever you want. <laughs> Um, I, I don't really have anything to say. Just do your best. I like that. 
All right. Thanks for being here on your very first podcast interview, Charlotte. Thank you. Hey there. Thank you so much for tuning in to another edition of the Small Minded Podcast, the place on the internet where we celebrate small towns, small businesses, and the people who love them. If you enjoyed this episode, we would be forever grateful to have a review of your experience over on iTunes, Spotify, our website, or wherever you tuned in today. And as always, we welcome you sharing this podcast with your friends and family on social. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Small Minded Podcast or at mollyknuthmedia.com slash podcast. Please go out, make today a good one. Take a small step towards a bigger impact. Here's to a life well-lived being small-minded.